So this is part two of my um, podcast on Bitcoin is just the same as a algorithmic uh, stablecoin, or at least it wants to be a stablecoin eventually in that it wants to reduce volatility uh, and, and approach some kind of stability in the future um, at some kind of higher level, assuming they want Bitcoin price to go up still. But at some point, they want it to plateau. They want it to be stable. And of course, you know, Bitcoin's unbacked. So <coughs> my question to the Bitcoin community earlier was, how do you plan on achieving this? How do you plan on making um, Bitcoin sort of the stable into this stable coin, right? It's some higher price. And I encouraged um, people to... Uh, come, come talk about this. Come, come, um, give me an argument that I can, I can relate to, that I can think about of, of how you can achieve this in Bitcoin. And someone tried to call in earlier and either the connection was bad or I fumbled it up. I apologize. Um, but I'm giving, I'm, 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 I'm welcoming anyone who wants to, who's available. Um, you can just call in now. To, to come and, and have this either discussion, you know, debate, friendly debate, whatever you want to call it, uh, uh, conversation about how uh, how Bitcoin can achieve this price stability and, and, and how they square, um, you know, on the one hand, uh, they're um, insisting that algorithmic stable coins uh, can't really function. But on the other hand, you know, Bitcoin's unbacked as well. And in the future, they hope uh, to achieve some kind of price stability with Bitcoin. Granted, they, they probably want to do it in a different way than a lot of these algorithmic uh, unbacked stablecoins um, have tried to do. But, but I just want to know what, what is the way? What, 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 you know, what mechanism do you plan on using to somehow uh, uh, convince the market that Bitcoin can be stable in the future. Um, my guess is that they think it's, it's going to be like a natural process. This is my my best guess is they think that Bitcoin can somehow achieve this um, naturally through perhaps market adoption, through widespread um, accumulation and trust in Bitcoin. Uh, but you know that's putting a lot of faith. Right. This, uh, to my, in my opinion, this is a lot of faith. Like this is a a hope approach, not a a let's ha- we have a plan. This is how we're going to implement it. This is how Bitcoin is going to achieve uh, stability in the future. This is how it's going to go from a speculation to a a currency, a st- you know, stable. And I put stable in quotes because so I realize that they're not trying to um, uh, price fix like Tether might be. But they do hope that Bitcoin achieves, uh, you know, a stable price. Um, you know, whether that's one million a coin, whether that's like 100 million a Bitcoin, you know, nobody knows, right? And I think that they hope the market decides that. But, but how can you just pick a number out of a hat? Like, where are you picking this number from? Um, a lot of people have, have spouted about, you know, oh, well, it should have the same market cap as gold. Well, but, but why? Like, what correlates these two assets? I mean, one is of nature, and one is of the human mind. It's purely abstract. I, I don't understand why you think just automatically. Um, I think that they're getting this from this argument of, oh, Bitcoin is a monetary asset, and gold is mostly a monetary asset. So it should have the same, like, market cap as gold. Um you know, number one, you know, the Bitcoiners, they like to introduce these, these like terms of that surround equities, like market cap of a company. So what is market cap? Let's break this down. Does this even like apply to Bitcoin or any crypto? In my opinion, it doesn't. I mean, market cap is, is used to describe the shares outstanding, shares issued, their current market price you know, times the number of shares that exist. And this is sort of to describe the the um, the total value uh, of a company. Like the market cap of a company is the total perceived value of the company because stock represents ownership 
And so if you have a piece of this, you have rights to this company, and it's sort of supposed to represent what this company is worth, what this company is worth today, right? Um, and they let, you know, they say stock market is, is forward looking. Uh, so it's like a discounted, uh, um, like present value day, right? Of, of, of like future cash flows. So like, what is the, what can you expect to ret- like have a return for this investment in this company? Cause you own it. Um, and what is that worth today in today's money? That's basically what that means. Um, now, can, can, like what, how does that apply to Bitcoin? There's no future cash flows. You don't own anything with Bitcoin. You don't own any rights, right? You just have this token, this collectible. You don't own, you don't own the Bitcoin network. You don't own any future cash flows derived from, from fees, right? From transactions of the network. You don't own the network. You, you own nothing. So just to even say that you have a market cap is ridiculous. Like people don't go around saying, well, I have, you know, the market cap of gold is such and such value. Like there's probably some people that go around calculating you know, trying to calculate all the gold in the world, the current price, and, and talking about market cap. But, like, the Bitcoiners are the only ones going around talking constantly every day, it seems like, about the market price of Bitcoin and where it should be. You know, they're trying to say, well, where should this actually be? It's, so they're, they're making projections. They're making projections about the future value of Bitcoin, but you can't value Bitcoin because there's no return on Bitcoin. All you can do is sell it to someone else. And it's not using consume, you know, it's not using consumption. It's not used to actually do anything, uh, make anything valuable. Like it's not using production. It's not a raw input good. So, so how can you even say like anything about the demand of Bitcoin? Like all these people are just speculating. They, they all, they all want to talk about supply and how there's current inflation, even though they gloss over that, you know, they, they call it a deflationary asset. It's not really, it's, 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 you know, the supply is increasing all the time. It's just getting, Less and less supply is being issued, but it's still increasing. The, the supply of Bitcoin is still increasing, you know, every day, every month, right? It's just, it's just, um, increasing at a slower rate. So this idea that like Bitcoin is deflationary, uh, not really like, you know, maybe relative to, to, to how much inflation it currently has, but it's still inflating and it will constantly inflate. So this idea that Bitcoin is a deflationary asset is, is sort of just disingenuous or it's a lie. Yeah, it has a supposed cap, but this is a human created thing and, and humans can ultimately change the code. Uh, this thing can be forked, which it has been several times. There's been, it doesn't have to be forked. There could be lots of copycat Bitcoins out there. There's like over 19,000 cryptos. So, um, it doesn't have to be forked, you know, exactly. It can just be recreated. And, and this can can um, basically affect the supply of, of crypto, depending on what you want to use the crypto for. You know, which, in my opinion, um, it's not money. It's just a technology, and it's a shitty technology because there's no guarantee that you'll be able to actually use the service, have your transaction confirmed, or be able to get out of it or sell it to someone um, and get your local currency back out. So it's a shitty service, in my opinion. Um, it's not money. It's a shitty service. So why anybody would put this much value on it is beyond me. I think they're just speculating. I think they just want to get rich. Uh, and, you know, maybe maybe, maybe they're going to get rich. Who knows? Um, but, but it's not a currency. It's a technology. And a lot of the Bitcoin people will acknowledge that it's a technology. But they also want to assume at the same time it's money. And that's where they lose me. They lose me when they try to claim it can be a technology at the same time as uh, a service. Um, or sorry, a technology, which is a service, at the same time that it can be also like a money. Um, I don't believe that is true. So, uh, yeah, anybody who wants to uh, join in and, and, and just debate the idea that uh, Bitcoin is anything other than just an algorithmic type uh, stable coin, or at least they want it to be stable in the future. So in the future, if it does achieve any kind of stability, it's going to be an algorithmic, unbacked, stable coin. Uh, you know, and a lot of people uh, want to say, well, if you're talking about algorithmic, you're talking about like a central person 
oh, controlling the streams and blah, 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 doing monetary policy. Well, what do you think Bitcoin is? It has a set monetary policy. Yeah, it's not being like tweaked now, but it was tweaked in the past and it was set up to be, you know, quote unquote deflationary or, or less and less inflation as time goes on. That's a monetary policy. So while you may not have someone like actively controlling the strings, you could have someone actively controlling the strings. Bitcoin code could be changed. It could be in shape. It could be changed. 21 million cap could be increased. Inflation rate could be changed. Um, all these things can be changed. Why? Because these things are not of nature. They're of the human mind, and, and there's actually humans that control this. So, so nothing is set in stone. What really pisses me off about the Bitcoiners is I think that this code is immutable. Um, no, it's not. I, I'm guessing that these Bitcoiners, they don't understand code or they're just being, like they're lying because the, the Bitcoin core code is constantly changed, upgraded, whatever. There's bugs in it. Humans maintain this. Uh, there's consensus around this. So whatever the majority, I think, you know, they say whatever the majority want is what's going to happen. I mean, is that true? No. There's probably like a core group of Bitcoin people who control what gets into the code. But they say, they spout off this nonsense. Oh, yeah, whatever the consensus is is what we'll do. I mean, bullshit. Like, let's have a vote, right? Um, I doubt it. You know, is, is this the, the whales talking? Is this, you know, who, who, who are you going to give uh, weight to in your voting mechanism? What they never describe how this consensus has come to because they don't want to, right? Because they will be, you know, discovered as, um, uh, you know, a smaller group of people that control this. And it's true that they do. They just want to say that they don't because they want to pretend like, um, like anybody who comes to Bitcoin, you know, if I come to Bitcoin tomorrow, my, my say, my vote, and this technology and how it should be run and the, and the code should be just as relevant as somebody else's. Right? They want to pretend like it's decentralized. That's untrue. It's untrue that somebody who comes to Bitcoin tomorrow has the same effect as someone who's been in Bitcoin uh, for 10 years. I mean, and they don't say this explicitly, right? They want to pretend like everyone has an equal vote or they're, you know, people who haven't been in earlier don't have a more, you know, more of a say. But it's, it's obviously true that they do. Uh, they just don't want to say that because then they look like a security, you know, and I think the Bitcoiners are on the wrong track here. I, you know, Saifedean, I didn't watch his podcast. He apparently went on the Lex Friedman show, which I have to call out this guy, Lex Friedman. This guy pretends like he is such the intellectual. He pretends like he has on independent thinkers. Oh, if you watch his, the beginning of his show, He's like, oh, yeah, I'm an independent thinker. And I just want to, like, I, I push back on Saifedean a little bit here and there. And I really just want to get to the bottom of this. And you should make up your own mind. Yet I've never had on a Bitcoin skeptic. In my opinion, he's never really had on one. He's, he, he mentioned, like, Paul Krugman. But this guy is a big government guy who, who believes in money printing. Have on, like, a Peter Schiff, right, who doesn't believe in money printing, Right, but he doesn't. He also doesn't think Bitcoin is the solution. There's plenty of people out there who don't fall into the camp of Paul Krugman, who don't celebrate the central bank, right? But who are also critical of Bitcoin. And Lex Friedman, this little MIT, you know, supposed to be a genius guy, who pretends like he's neutral has on Eric Weinstein, Save the Dean, um, God knows who else, all these Bitcoin pumpers, nobody who is critical. I searched, right? No one, like I searched Lex Friedman, Bitcoin. No one who is critical of Bitcoin, right, that, that, is, that is not a Paul Krugman type. Maybe Paul Krugman is the only real Bitcoin critic he's had on, which tells you, like, he's looking at, at someone who likes Keynesian, Likes money printing, doesn't like Bitcoin. Well, have on someone who doesn't like Keynesianism, money printing, but also doesn't like Bitcoin. There's plenty of those people out there, and yet this guy uh, refuses, you know, at least it seems like he refuses to have them on. And he, if he was honest, if he really was for independent thought, he'd have on 
a Peter Schiff type guy, this doesn't have to be Peter Schiff, but it could be anyone, right? It could be uh, Nassim Taleb. Maybe he's had him on before, but I don't think he's had him on since he's been critical of Bitcoin. Um, so someone who's critical of Bitcoin uh, and give and give the other case. So, so this Lex Friedman guy, in my opinion, deserves to be sued. Why? Because he's presenting one side of the argument, in my opinion. Um, he, I, I looked at Saifedean, I looked at the Lex Friedman Saifedean uh, show on YouTube, and it's, you know, I watched the intro, and it said, hey, look, um, if you want to see our sponsors, look in the show notes. I looked in the show notes, I couldn't see sponsors, and I was looking for any any sponsor that was pro-crypto, because I think, or pro-Bitcoin, because Lex Friedman has never had anyone on the show outside of this Paul Krugman guy, who's a Keynesian, right, who is critical of Bitcoin. And so I just challenged him, if he's really a free thinker uh, and independent, uh, to have someone on that doesn't like Bitcoin, right? That's not a Keynesian, doesn't like money printing, but it's also critical of Bitcoin. Um, and, and, you know, he, he's, he's setting himself up to get sued because if he's promoting one side, uh, you really are um, showing your cards. You know, maybe you're not disclosing your sponsors, um, and, and you, you just open yourself up to all these potential lawsuits um, that I feel like are just waiting in the wind, you know, for all these Bitcoin pumpers. And, and people like, CNB, you know, platforms like CNBC who are allowing sort of a one-sided discussion without any kind of disclaimer on, you know, these are our advertisers. This is just a one-sided opinion. They're, they're not doing that. And they're going to be sued and they might very well go out of business. Oh, uh, we have a listener. If you want to to uh, to come in and speak, I invite you to speak. Uh, I got off topic here, but uh, my original topic was, um, you know, is Bitcoin an algorithmic stablecoin? Is it, or does it does it want to achieve this goal? Does it hope to be stable in the future? Um, does it does it does it want to achieve this goal? And how you know how are they going to do this? How are they going to be be stable or at least somewhat neutral? Hey, Lindsay. Good afternoon. How are you? Hey, let's try this again. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what happened earlier, but uh, yeah, I guess you, you bring up some good questions and uh, it seems like you're doing quite a few of these during, uh, during the day and throughout the week and stuff. So keep up the good work and uh, interesting, interesting topics in general with crypto. It seems to be a core focus of yours, really. Yeah, it is. You know, um, it, it, is a, it is a core focus. I have other focuses, but they tend to be, I guess, more controversial than even crypto <laughs> being uh, critical of crypto. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly is it's going to be an algorithmic stablecoin. I that's certainly not the case. It's extremely volatile. Um I'm not I'm not even sure it knows what it wants to be. Um I mean at the end of the day we don't even know who created it, right? It's kind of there's still a lot of mystery and illusion around Bitcoin in general and I mean if you think about it in in a sense of what it was designed to be is which is currency it really hasn't even fulfilled that role and that purpose in general. It seems to be a more of a, a digital gold than a currency in a sense, you know, it's rarity seems to be its best attribute. Um, but also it's extreme transparency also in some cases is not a good, very good attribute in a lot of ways. And so that's why you see all these new coins that come up that kind of serve different utilities and different purposes. And I think those are going to probably stand the test of time, but I guess at the end of the day, there is no replacement for being first to market and Bitcoin certainly is that. And I think that's probably its core strength. Yeah, I agree. It has that going for it. It's brand. Um, but I think ultimately, you know, you have to have more than just brand to survive sort of the test of time. And you do bring up a good point about how gold, you know, how Bitcoin wants to be like a store of value. Um, but, you know, there's also a large uh, group of people in Bitcoin who want it to be a currency. So there's these competing narratives. And ultimately, you know, to achieve each goal, it's different. You know, you can't, um, you know, so, well, you could in theory achieve both, but for Bitcoin, 
um, because it's not really a true commodity, I argue that, uh, it, it's hard for them. Like, they, they want to go up in price, but at the same time, uh, they want to be used in everyday transactions, and they want to replace the currency of third world countries. So how can you do that if you don't want to achieve stability? Yeah, it's true. It's true. At the end of the day, though, too, it's like if we're going to always compare Bitcoin to dollars or Bitcoin to whatever the stable uh, store of value is, then it's never really fulfilled its purpose. You know, digital currency will win basically when we start referring to currency with, 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 with digital currency, right? And not its uh, fiat equivalent. And so w whatever crypto does until it gets to that point, it's never really fulfilled its mission. I mean, if you go all the way back to the Bitcoin white paper, if you go all the way back to the Bitcoin talk forum with Satoshi on it, he figured out very quickly uh, within a matter of weeks, the private privacy implications of um, kind of the first Genesis blocks and stuff and what that meant. Um, and even posed a question to the forum and to the board about what he could potentially do about that. That was never addressed really after that point. I mean, from a currency standpoint, if we're going to engage in a transaction and do business together, it's not in my best interest to know exactly how much funds you hold in your wallet. Uh, there's no bank account. There's no, there's no business in the world that does business with other businesses that know that. Um, and, and for that very reason, it's going to fail in that respect. So that's the issue. Uh, a store of value, that might be different. Um, you know, if that, that's probably, like I said, it's probably its greatest attribute is its rarity and the fact that it was first to market. Um, and it has that brand associated with it too. Yeah, I do agree with that. I think the privacy thing is is definitely net negative. Um, but you know, they say, well, it's pseudo privacy because there's you know the addresses. My main issue with Bitcoin is actually the fact that um, I consider it like a payment rail, a service. Like it's a, it's a technology, and that's fundamentally, if you categorize that, that's a service. So, but it's a really bad service, and the. And the reason why is that if you buy Bitcoin, um, no one is actually guaranteeing you you'll be able to transact, you know, with Bitcoin, that you'll be able to use the network in the future whenever you decide to make a payment, that you'll be able to actually, that your transaction will go through, that will be confirmed, right, that it won't be 51% attacked when you try to make a transaction, or, or that, that the person receiving it, if they do receive it, that they'll be able to actually convert this back to their local medium of exchange or currency. So how can you make something like this, like current, like the national currency of any country, or um, just how can you claim that this is a medium of exchange if no one is guaranteeing that like your transaction will even make it into the blockchain? That's, that's like going back a few steps before you even introduce the idea of volatility. But that is like my number one concern. And it has to do with the concept of settlement that when you wanna go pay for something, like a good, you sort of want to, the, the, the moment that the exchange happens, the transaction, you want um, sort of the goods are exchanged. You want to have um, the currency or whatever you're paying with to also be you know, exchange at the same time. So you don't want to have to be waiting on, you know, confirmation time, you know, et cetera. Well, this, yeah, and you bring up good points. The scalability is, is an issue that they're going to address um, at some point. They're going to have to. There's, there's going to be no choice around that. But like I said, there's other coins that have addressed that, right? They, they took the building blocks, the initial building blocks of Bitcoin and built upon the thesis and the idea and then built better systems around Bitcoin's failures, um, in a lot of ways. So there's a lot of coins that are, that are, you know, basically blue chip coins at this point that are extremely solid in that respect. And the issue that those coins are dealing with, uh, the Bitcoin doesn't is adoption and branding. And, and that's kind of the gap. And in a lot of ways, like, you know, I think all the metrics will always be for Bitcoin like that, that will never go away. Um, but there's certainly better methods to engage in commerce and to do business. And uh, at the end of the day, I don't think really we'll see any sort of mainstream adoption in that respect until companies and products and services and, and just businesses decide to start taking it. Um, you know, there's a lot of exchanges out there that make that really easy to do. Um, there's technologies, free open source technologies out there that make that extremely easy to do. 
Um, and at the end of the day, merchants need to just start accepting it. Until that happens, I think crypto will kind of always be this weird sort of get rich quick investment scheme that like we've seen with Terra and Luna uh, can lead to extreme disappointment. Yeah, you bring up good points. I, I did like just a rant, I guess you call it a podcast, <laughs> a while back. And I was talking about how you could potentially bootstrap, you know, either a new coin and stabilize its price and get it to be accepted or, you know, even Bitcoin. Um, and the example was um, an exchange that basically partners with the, with a merchant who says, we're going to sell, you know, socks for 100 sats. And the socks are basically worth a dollar, say. But you have to go buy the sats through me, through my exchange, where I sell sats for a dollar, right? So they come to me, they buy the sats for a dollar. And then, you know, like Walmart, whoever is selling this, this, this product um, will take the sats, right? Because they're, they're worth, you know, they're worth, um, they are, they collected a dollar through me. They're taking the sats and then they come back to me and collect the dollar. So it's kind of a roundabout way of price fixing a crypto. And I think you could do this with any crypto arbitrarily independent of where else it trades. You know, it could, it could trade on other exchanges at a different uh, price and that'd be fine. But this would be a cool like experiment to do. If I'm, if you could get the merchant to say, yeah, I'll accept, you know, SAS or whatever. Um, but they just have to get it, you know, through this exchange because I know that I can go there uh, to to trade it out for a real dollar. Interesting. So you're kind of fixing the adoption and the uh, the on ramp situation too. You just have to tie these things to like something real, like in the real economy. I think because the price could be like anything, in my opinion. If it's unbacked, it could just be free floating. But if you, you know, if you if you just like created an exchange that said, "Hey, we're gonna have." Um, 100 sats for a dollar um, and you know oh they say well, why would you come here and buy this because you could go buy this on Binance for like so cheap well because you can't actually go and use these certain sats at this Walmart or whatever retailer who is selling whatever product you know that's going to accept sats from this that was sold at this exchange now I don't know how this this merchant might might like distinguish the sats that were sold you know, at a particular exchange, but, but I guess, you know, with the open blockchain, you can kind of see, well, where did this come from? And you might be able to tell, you know, Hey, I can only accept stats that, that came from this, um, this source. Well, so I, and so I was thinking about this before too, that it, from a merchant's perspective, it's, it's kind of a no brainer too. Because if you look at all the fraud, and there's probably some industry metrics out there that you could look up, but as far as the fraud is concerned and chargebacks, it, it's a big deal for merchants. And so if someone purchases a product or, or service, something like that with a stolen credit card or something like that, and they issue chargebacks and the person finds out about it, they issue the chargeback. Well, the merchants not only out the payment, they've had to refund that with their merchant, whether it's Visa, MasterCard, Amex agreements, but now they're also out their product and their inventory so the merchants bear the brunt of that burden anytime there's any sort of fraudulent activity. One of the huge value adds, I think, for crypto uh, and the kind of no-brainer for the crypto aspect is that every transaction, it's immediately verified on the blockchain, right? That's the beauty of the blockchain is the, the funds are verified, the transactions verified, and then you have nodes or computers all around the world that are also double-checking and verifying those transactions. So after enough confirmations, uh, and so the more confirmations, the more secure the payment, you kind of avoid the double spend issue or, or a fork or a diversion or sort of a, like 51% attack or any of those things you're talking about. So with enough confirmations, basically the merchant can then guarantee, hey, I've been paid. The blockchain is verified I've been paid. And there's absolutely zero risk of any sort of fraudulent activity at all, period. And so f from a merchant's perspective, you don't have to roll that fraudulent um, uh basically cost on your customers by increasing your, your service or your product costs, you can basically be sure that you've got almost a 0% issue or chance of fraud. And so now you can offer lower price products and services to your customer because you're not having to roll that into your cost. So I think the huge value add for crypto is eliminating fraud across the board in that respect. And I, I'm kind of confused why merchants haven't really adopted it in that respect, because that is such a huge part of their shrink and their loss. 
Now, I agree that you could potentially use crypto to reduce, you know, fraud or costs on the merchant. But I feel like it's not really a reduction in costs. It's just a transfer of costs. So you're you're now transferring sort of costs of fraud onto the user who will have to, like, go to a court of law, you know, if they if they're stolen from or whatever. Um, now it's on them. Right. So so it may save the merchant money. Um but now that customer who, you know, say, say someone sold their credit card. Now, right now, you can sort of call up your credit card and say, oh, I, this was not as hacked, whatever, they'll just refund you. Um, that's a cost in the merchant. The merchant sort of eats that. Or they have insurance, right? But they pay for that insurance. But if you could, if you, could, you know, if you just say, pay for this with crypto, you're sort of just outsourcing this, this cost. That's my opinion of it. Um, it could help merchants. But maybe it would hurt consumers. Uh, but maybe consumers don't care. Maybe they won't realize that that's a cost on them. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, well, it's not going to really hurt the customers. I mean, they either have the they have the the coins or the tokens, or they don't. I mean, as a merchant, you could say, "Hey, I'll accept crypto, and I'll give you a discount for doing so." So now you're kind of incentivizing. Uh, lowering your risk in that respect. But I mean, if you're going to accept credit cards as a merchant, you're going to have to accept a certain element of fraud and chargebacks. I mean, that's just the name of the game. And so anytime that happens, depending on the value of your products or your invoices, your total invoice costs, it's going to cost you money at the end of the day. And so you're going to have to roll that into your cost of doing business. If you're 100% sure that you can verify every single invoice and order on the blockchain and then prove the funds are verified, which it naturally does, and you can almost be certain you've eliminated a vast majority of your risk. And at that point, if you have any issues with delivery or shipping or any of that stuff, then obviously you hold the uh, the broker or the logistics shipper or whatever accountable for that, right? They have insurances and stuff that you can purchase to guarantee delivery and things yeah. like that. So I think it's a better way of doing business at the end of the day. And I, I think the decentralized nature of crypto and basically digital cash allows merchants and actually gives better strength, I think, to the system and doing business. I think it's, it makes doing business a lot easier. Now, if people don't adopt it and don't believe in it, uh, it doesn't matter how secure or how much uh, how much better it allows you to do business. If people aren't using it, uh, they're going to choose other means, like using their cards or sending a check or whatever. I think right now, you know, it's just ease of use. Like, so there's stable coins out there that have been stable for a while. You know, think about Tether, USDC. Um, stability is the most important thing in my mind for a merchant to accept a crypto. Um, stability and you know that they're they're able to redeem it for for real dollars uh, because at the end of the day they have to pay you know their bills in, in real dollars. So if like a Walmart accepted a stable coin, uh, that'd be great. I you know I all the you know more power to them. <laughs> Uh, so why haven't they? Is it just that their customers? Um, it's it's not easy. That there's no there's there's no UI. That there's no there, there haven't been great tools. Uh, the people who shop at Walmart maybe they don't have a lot of tether. I, I don't know. Uh, right. Uh, well, it's, if you look at the internet and crypto and just just technology in general, it's the most disruptive innovation in the last three hundred years. We have every tool at our disposal right now for for success um, than ever before, and so oh, it's a matter. Oh that i don't think it's the most disruptive tool in the last 300 years um, well i don't know yeah everyone has different opinions on the matter i'm, j I'm just saying from the aspect of the ability to do business and uh, improve lives and uh bring people out of poverty technology i think is is the solution to do all that now i getting back to like the crypto aspect walmart technology helps people yeah. yeah, Walmart in general, like they wouldn't have to do anything specific. Like they wouldn't need to engage in specific stable coins. They just say, "Hey, we'll take any and all crypto," right? And then they have to have a method of of swapping that crypto for fiat. So they have to have some sort of relationship with an exchange, um, or an account, or a holding, or maybe even their own exchange at that point. So then then they could operate an exchange and write trade tokens or trade for fiat or whatever. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're going to be a business that that accepts all forms of payment, whether it's crypto, cash, or whatever, you're going to have to give your, your customers options. At the end of the day, you're never going to get around working with banks. I mean, it's a critical part of our infrastructure. That'll never go away. I think the idea with crypto is just to offer individuals uh, freedom right, to exchange in different different means. Um, and, and currency, again, like to go back to the whole idea in the first place, is meant to be used, not hoarded, not traded. It's not a get-rich-quick scheme. It was really meant to change commerce and change business. 
uh, for years to come. And that was its original intent. It just really hasn't been executed that way. Yeah, I would agree with that on the whole. Um, I think the biggest thing that that is stopping like merchants from accepting crypto, you know, like truly accepting it, where they don't just, you know, use a BitPay server or something like that, is the volatility in the thing. I mean, well, you could say that even if they use a BitPay server, they could get out of the currency immediately and then just get dollars. So if if you if you think that volatility doesn't matter. Um, why aren't you know the WalMarts of the world just using a, a BitPay server or whatever kind of processor you know so you could accept any kind of crypto and then they could could be paid in dollars um, on their end? Uh, I think that that's just a lot of work for them. Um, well, they're going to have to pay large fees, right, to, to like a BitPay server because they ultimately don't want the the volatile crypto; they want the dollars that it can be converted into. So, but if your if your goal is, will they accept my crypto natively, um, and and hold it on their books at least for a while, you know, days or whatever it is, and then move it off their books, maybe sell it uh, for dollars. They need something that's that's stable, um, because they have really low margins, I assume, and they're not going to accept something that's very volatile as like a general medium of exchange, and more importantly, upstream from that, the customer isn't going to want to hold it and thus pay with this thing that is super volatile. Um, so it's also upstream from the business is that the customer is that people in general don't view um, volatile cryptos as sort of money or a medium of exchange. And I think that is where uh, the issue um, starts. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you certainly can't have um, a, a stable coin right and it not have stability attached to it i mean that's the general rule i think what's unique about the united states anyway and i've said this in other shows is that united states has the benefit of having the world's largest army um, and military industrial complex and so we have sort of the the uh, hardware to ensure that they, we have a basically the world's reserve currency you know crypto isn't afforded that same sort of luxury in a lot of ways. So when you talk about stable coins um, or, or coins that attempt to be stable coins, whatever, there's there's a lot of options in the market. And obviously um, that doesn't bode well for, for control, right? And strength of the network and power and all that. So it's like, you, you have to look at it. Is it a lot of options is a good thing, but also, like you said, it's going to affect adoption and stuff. So I don't know, I guess we'll see how this stuff plays out. I, I wouldn't consider crypto like a, a use case for, you know, the largest corporation in America. Um, you know, mostly I think crypto's use case is probably for the unbanked of the world. So areas where, um, you know, individuals don't have bank accounts, right? They don't have the opportunity for that. It allows merchants and uh, business owners and things like that to accept currency, right? And make that easy to do in a decentralized way. So that's a good use case for it. Um, and then another use case too is, is like fees, right? Um, that's another aspect is some of these coins have extremely low fees compared to like wire transfer fees, um, and ACH fees and all these different things that banks charge money for. And, and it's a big part of their income too. Um, I, like we've seen with Terra and Luna, that's got me kind of concerned because there's this idea, a lot of players in this market right now um, are only solely involved in order, like I said, to get rich quick or to make 20% APR or whatever it is. And that's just unrealistic and kind of goes against the grain for reason why this stuff was created in the first place. So Clearly, we've seen an issue with that. Um, anytime where there's a massive amount of profit to be made, you're going to get a lot of bad actors and stuff. And obviously, that doesn't bode well for the technology itself. So I guess in time, we'll see how this stuff plays out. Yeah, you bring up, you bring up a really good topic about the unbanked. And I was speaking to somebody who was, um, I forget where she was from, um, one of the African countries. And she, uh, she likes Bitcoin. Um, but she was worried about um, scams, and I, I was, you know, I was telling her that I'm, I'm really interested in the scam part, and just to be careful because, you know, a lot of the, the Bitcoin promotion in these 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 third world countries, Venezuela, you know, parts of Africa where they're trying to get, um, sorry, El Salvador, <laughs> um, El Salvador, Central Republic of Africa, that recent recently announced like legal tendered Bitcoin, um, you know, and then she brought up, oh, well, Card Cardano, the, guy, the Cardano guy, what do you know about him? He's, he's trying to promote, um, you know, his coin and, um, 
you know, in some African countries. I'm just kind of worried this is a scam. It's going to hurt, you know, the local, the local population. And I just said, hey, look, there's a reason why they're, 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 they're coming to your country. You know, they're spending some money. They're on promotion. You know, maybe they're helping out the country. I'm sure that they're, you know, donating, right, for good causes. But at the same time, um, what is their motivation? And, and can the introduction of a Bitcoin or ADA, you know, Cardano, or another crypto, can it really help your country? Um, can it really lift standard of living? Can it really help the country? And perhaps it can. You know, perhaps um, all you need is a medium of exchange that's reliable um, to function in this, you know, that, that's out, out of the control of maybe the corrupt government, you know, to help lift living standards in this country. But I'm, I'm suspicious because, um, I'm suspicious because, you know, you need, in order to, to increase wealth of a, of a country, in my opinion, you need freedom. Um, you need freedom to be able to act uh, in, in your economy to, to create value. And that's the number one thing. So if you just introduce this currency um, that's very volatile uh, and you, you hope that the local population of a third world country uh, adopts it, um, it's very volatile. It's, I think that's the main problem is, is it's not stable. And you really just need to introduce freedom. And perhaps the Bitcoin people think, well, if we introduce Bitcoin, maybe freedom will come along with it. Maybe it'll change the government. But I just feel like the, you know, these Bitcoiners or, or the people who are introduced these, these currencies to these third world countries are just like, bro. Uh, you know, they're just skimming off the top. And so I, I just worry that, that these countries are being scammed uh, into, into thinking that these country, like these, these new currencies are their solution. So. Well, yeah, you should be concerned. I mean, we've seen what the World Bank does around the world, right? They, they overextend basically countries with, that are rich in resources, right, that don't have an established infrastructure. And they make loans basically that they know they won't pay back. Um, and that's how that process works. And, you know, crypto, I mean, in a sense, can be done the same way. I imagine if there's some bad actors there. But in a decentralized network that, that isn't ran by a central authority, um, it takes network consensus. So in other words, the network has to agree to any sort of adoption or new change or adjustment in the protocol. Um, and, and that's a really good thing in that sense, too. That's why, I, I mean, I, the proof of stake, I, I don't believe, is a good technology in general because that just rewards people um, with basically the, the, the largest amount of capital, right? So the individuals with the most coins earn the most. Um, and it doesn't allow for early adoption in that sense too. So I, I feel like proof of work is a better method in that sense because it needs to be decentralized. And so they kind of go together, but, but you're right. I mean, there's obviously in these areas where there's a lot of resources, there's a huge opportunity for that to be exploited basically. And so that's a huge concern, I think. Um, but if those individuals are unbanked anyway, right. And they're, they've have an emerging, emerging uh, economy or resources or, um, basically some sort of capital to deploy or whatever, then in a lot of ways, if you make it easier for them to do business, um, to engage in commerce, right? Maybe that's just domestically or maybe even international commerce, that's only going to serve them well. It's only going to give them the tools for success, right? That just means entrepreneurs, business owners, citizens, um, you can start to create a legitimate economy at that point. And if you're running that sort of system on a decentralized nature, you're doing the best possible thing you can do to remove the exploit out of that equation. And so the, basically the, the government, the country, the, the citizens have to determine what's best for them. And if they're using decentralized protocols, then you're giving them, them the tools really for, for uh, consensus in that sense. So it's kind of interesting to think about. I mean, right, crypto is kind of disruptive in a way, but it's also disruptive to what we've already been used to, which is a centralized currency mechanism, basically a fractional reserve banking system. And that presents its own challenges too. But we're kind of seeing the remnants of that, right? We've got runaway inflation. We've got debt that is all-time highs. The Fed's in a really tough position right now. There's only a few things that they can do. And they, they know what they do is going to hurt the economy. 
um, in, a, in a lot of ways, it's going to it's going to lead to unemployment. Um, it's going to lead to a slowdown in growth, and it's going to lead to a lot of misery and pain for for people who really can least afford it, right? Which is the middle class. And um, you know, at the end of the day, that that doesn't do well for America, and that doesn't do well for the world, and things like that. So, there's better solutions out there. I at some point they will move to a CBDC plan. Um, you know, that's to kind of combat crypto and its decentralized nature anyway. So in a lot of ways, they're still clawing for control um, and they're trying to do the best to do that. But again, at the end of the day, this is their creation. And so they've got to be the ones that fix it. It certainly can't be us. And we'll kind of see how it plays out. But at the end of the day, I've kind of always take the position too, where if you give people more options and more opportunity, they will take advantage of that. And for the most part, they'll make the right decisions. You just have to give people the tools to success. And for the most part, they, they will take advantage of that and try their best. And uh, and I think at the end of the day, we can kind of sleep well knowing that if we give people the tools of success, give them options, give them the ability for freedom and success, they will take advantage of it. And we're all better off when we do. Yeah, that's a good point. And I, I think to just bring this back like full circle to my original question, um, I'm not like an apologist for the Fed. I don't like, you know, unbacked money. I think that uh, basically, you know, money that's unbacked, like ever since we, you know, went off the gold standard, it's been unbacked, it's been free floating. Um, but, you know, the dollar, you know, I heard this argument, this isn't my original argument, but the dollar is accepted today because it was once accepted in the past. And if you can create like a stable coin like Tether, what has Tether done? What is the beauty of Tether? They have backed their currency, Tether, with dollars. And why, you know, people, people ask, why dollars? Well, because it's the current medium of exchange right now. But why were dollars accepted in the past? They were accepted in the past because they were once backed by gold, a commodity. And the trick was that they, 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 um, in 1971, they took the dollar off the gold standard, but because dollars were once accepted before, they are still accepted today. Now they took a huge haircut. Yes. But that's the trick. Um, so my question is, um, why would anybody accept Bitcoin? Because, um, you know, Bitcoin isn't tethered. Bitcoin doesn't have a backing. Uh, and I think this whole conversation is about really stability. And can you trust this, this, this new token or currency or thing that's trying to be money uh, to be stable? Will the general population accept this thing um, as money? And I think that ultimately depends on if it's stable. I think Tether and other uh, stable coins that back it with real things have a huge advantage over Bitcoin in the long run. Bitcoin has the brand, it has the first mover advantage, but it's volatile and people are not going to use it in transactions uh, until it is stable. So they really need to come up with a mechanism to stabilize Bitcoin whether that's a consensus around, you know, one million a coin and the whales protect, right? Just like whales and tether protect this dollar price. I know that they do because I think that there's people in tether who get this thing for free, but they defend the currency. Where are the whales in Bitcoin that defend the currency? Where are they? Until they show up and like, the, like come to some kind of consensus on where they want this price to be at, you can't, this can't be money. Like it can't be a currency. So I'm actually more bullish on any kind of stable coin that could, could come about and really stabilize the price through any kind of mechanism. I don't really care if it's algorithmic or if it's actually back in real dollars, but whoever can, can figure that out is going to be the ultimate winner. Well, there's also like, look at any emergent technology. There's always prototypes. There's always version betas, version 1.0. You know, the first mover doesn't always have to be the right answer. And, and if you look at, at other industries, right, other other uh, emerging, emerging technologies, disruptive innovations, the first movers usually aren't the successful ones. 
It's the individuals that can kind of um, read the temperature of the room and figure out wh where the holes are, where the issues are with the initial prototype or protocol, and then plug those holes, fix it, make it better, and then brand it better, and then build a better team and actually put legit capital behind it. And then those are usually the ones that are successful, right? Those are the ones that usually gain traction and become industry stakeholders and things like that. So I don't ever think the first version is usually the best version. I mean, there's a lot of coins right now that kind of fit the utility and the use case for each one of the issues and kind of holes that we already talked about. At the end of the day, it's like we don't really need to reinvent the wheel. You just need to utilize the tools that are already there and fix the adoption, which is still the huge missing piece. Um, the minute merchants start accepting cryptocurrencies is when the, the narrative around crypto will start changing. So until people start using it for what it's designed to use, I don't. I, I think this is kind of will always be a kind of get rich quick scheme, a kind of always an investment strategy. And and also I've like I've said other other times before, which is the very reason why the SEC is so concerned about regulating it. Um, when you have very few amount of individuals um, who are controlling a huge amount of virtual capital, uh, whether they're tokens, BTC, whatever. And they're determining the price and the direction of that, that that's basically an investment vehicle. And the very reason why the SEC is so concerned about it. The difference is that a currency is not fall, does not fall under that same sort of jurisdiction, um, which is again, reason why cryptocurrency was labeled that way to begin with. It was meant to be a medium of exchange, not an investment vehicle. Yeah. You know, I, um, I've been thinking a lot about whether, you know, Bitcoin is a security, all these other cryptos are a security. And, um, you know, lately the Bitcoiners have been talking about how every other crypto is a security except them. And I think it's just really funny that, that they make this claim. And I think it's actually bad for them to make this claim because, you know, an outsider would say, well, what makes you so special? You know, in, 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 the, in the entire market that isn't into Bitcoin, but is into the altcoin space, also has this, this idea running through your head. So what makes you, you know, so special? Um, you know, and I, I think that, that Bitcoin is not a currency. They have to provide proof of that. And they don't have it currently because it's not being used as a general medium of exchange. It is a CVC, which is a uh, currency equivalent, or um, it's basically something that the FinCEN people designate as, uh, you know, currency equivalent um, value. And, and, and so they, they view it as something that is under their purview as a regulatory body because it represents fiat value being transferred, right? It, it, it represents that. But it is not that it's it, it's not a currency itself because um, it's very volatile. And I think back to my original point, Bitcoin and other cryptos that use a blockchain are fundamentally a new technology. They're a service. And it's a bad service, again, because it can't be guaranteed that you will actually have your transaction uh, come out the other side, right? So there's all these NFTs that launch, right? And there's all these people that try to, to bid these things up. Uh, and they, they, they waste gas. They waste Ethereum. They waste their own money. The tra transaction is confirmed, but they don't even get uh, the product that they want. Uh, so there's all these reasons, you know, and then there's MEV, like, and then there's replaced by fee in Bitcoin. There's the MEV thing, which which is a whole other can of worms, uh, transaction ordering, all of this stuff is decided by the miners. How can you possibly think that this is a legitimate, like, mechanism to transfer value? Like, that the government would ever view this as something legitimate is beyond me. Because there's no one guaranteeing it. Because they don't want this thing to actually, uh, they don't want to say this thing is controlled by a group of people or, or company. Right, that's issuing like a security or a promise in the future that you'll be able to transact this Bitcoin to send a transaction or, or you know, even involve the exchanges, right? That you'll be able to exit Bitcoin for real currency because that's a separate, that's even a separate issue. But that's the main reason why I think Bitcoin even has a price is if the exchanges go, that's it for Bitcoin. 
the only reason why it has a price is because you can immediately convert it into, into dollars, into like real currency. But this this whole security stuff that comes up, I think basically every crypto is a security. And I think the Bitcoiners are going down the wrong path of, of claiming that everything but them is a security. Yeah, interesting. I, well, I guess it's different use cases, right? You've, if you look at, for example, you're, you're a taxpayer, I imagine, right? And you spend um, tax dollars. You don't necessarily have a choice of where those tax dollars are spent. But you want to have some sort of idea that they are being spent. I mean, the blockchain is a perfect use case for that, for taxpayers to verify that the funds that they're, that they're paying, right, their taxes are going maybe into the programs they decide to, to put them, you know, if we decide that we're given that choice. So, I mean, you have to look at the use case. A blockchain, a public ledger is extremely beneficial when you need to know where the funds are spent and where they went. And so that's a use case as far as uh, maybe a government supported use case that I think the citizens could definitely get on board with. Um, that's just one of the very few use cases you could look at. Um, there's the other aspect, like I brought up earlier, uh, when you're a business or an individual and you're doing business with other individuals or other business you don't want those entities to know exactly how much wealth you have or how much account wealth you have in your account or anything. I mean, that wouldn't be fair during the negotiation or the contract phase. I mean, if your if your um, co-party knew exactly how much you could afford, are they going to give you a deal? Are they going to put their, their contract value at exactly how much you can afford, right? This is the nature of business. They're certainly going to do that what's in their best interest. So that wouldn't be a good use case for that. So there's going to be different use cases that desire different technologies. And so I don't think it's going to be like an a la carte situation. I think you're going to have different tokens and different coins that do different things. Um, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's interesting because it, it kind of is, is interesting timing in, in a respect where you have cryptocurrencies so tied to the stock market. Um, in fact, you can even, there's a, a, a chart you can look at, Lindsay, the BTC and SPX ticker chart, and it, it ties with the S&P 500. And you can basically see that the crypto valuations precede the stock valuations. And so over a period of 8 to 12 hours, you can basically, when you see a, a correlating pr drop in price with Bitcoin, you'll see a correlating drop in price uh, across the S&P 500, which I think is extremely interesting because that what that confirms to you is that the Bitcoin and these tokens are not being used for what they're designed to. They're being used uh, and they're, being they're basically trading vehicles uh, and they're being traded in with whether it's derivatives, um, and, and other tools that you know, algorithm, wh whatever. I mean, they're basically following the same sort of trading mechanisms that the stock market does and stuff. So I think that's an interesting kind of data point, uh, interesting correlation. And so this is the very reason why we're seeing also a, a ton of sell-offs, right? We're seeing a ton of sell-offs in the market. We're seeing a ton of sell-offs in crypto across the board. I mean, basically there's a lot of fear in the, in the marketplace right now and people are going to safe alternatives, which um, there's very few of them left. Uh, which is kind of the reason why we're here. Um, and, and also they're going to the dollar, right? It's the world's reserve currency. So, and that's why you look at the dollar chart right now, the dollar metrics are extremely strong right now. There's more people demanding dollars than in a, in a very long time. And so that that's a good thing for the dollar and a good thing for America and the United States. But at the end of the day, there's not a whole lot of places to put your money and, and earn um, relatively decent interest. Right. And so that's why you see a, a lot of money being invested in the stocks. Now you've got a lot of money being invested in real estate. It's the reason why asset values are at sky high uh, levels. It's because there is no safe place to put your capital anymore. And that's really kind of a, a bad place to be in the investment industry. Um, and so we're going to, I think we're going to continue to see liquidations. And I think we'll probably continue to, continue to see the price of Bitcoin drop and, and all the cryptos drop in general as people basically um, are fearful and, and they'll, they'll flee and, and, go to towards uh, safer vehicles and things like that. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, my, my main premise of Bitcoin is that, or, or all crypto, is that it's a uh, unproductive activity and it's a bubble activity. And I, I describe a bubble as, as no one's real fault except the Fed, like the Fed printing money. So, you know, the Fed printing money creates like new currency where some people get it for free and they get to bid up assets. And so that is really um, what causes this, this non-productive bidding up of, of real assets is that these, some people get money for free 
they bid up assets and um, they, they just get to participate in a price increase uh, because if you expand them, the money supply, you, you just have um, more money uh, chasing after all the goods that are produced. If you just assume that, that there's no increase in the supply of goods, then you can expect like prices to increase. Uh, and, you know, the people that get the money first, you get to decide which, you know, where they put, where they expend the money. And they, you know, the people that get the money for free, they just, they just want to buy up real stuff or buy up real things that have a price, which they can sell, you know, say like crypto uh, and get like real things like houses or boats, etc. Well, we're kind of in a tough position right now too, Lindsay, because in the last two years, we basically printed 60% of all money that's ever existed. Right. Yeah, so yeah. we, and that, again, we operate on a fractional reserve banking system. So there is no standard, there is no collateral, there is no backing, uh, except our reputation and, uh, and branding. And so when you do that, you, you, you devalue any note or currency that's already out there. Um, when you have more of something, it's usually valued less. That's kind of human, um, psychology 101. But what the predicament that we're in, is that all that money that we printed didn't ever go anywhere. And you know that because you can look at the M2 supply. And so the M2 is a, is a metric that's put out by the St. Louis Fed, and you can track that. And you can see the velocity of M2 funds is at record lows. So it's really kind of fallen ever since 1960. But that's uh, all the money basically that's in that everyone has, any wealth that they have, all accounts, all cash in circulation, change and everything, basically all accounts under $100,000. And so for, for the important metric to look at, that's basically mainstream America, right? That's Main Street. And so when you don't have money circulating and changing hands, you can't build wealth. And so what that tells you is all that cash that was printed didn't ever go anywhere. It went into the financial industry and it hasn't come out. And so that's a really horrible thing for growth. That's a really horrible thing for prosperity. And that's a really horrible thing for success for most Americans. And so that's the predicament we're in. And that's why I think the Fed is so concerned about inflation and all this stuff is because the value is worth less. Um, and I don't think, by the way, I don't think crypto is going to be the solution to all this. But what it can do is, is kind of help merchants and business owners and individuals um, engage in commerce easier than they, than they can right now. And so if that's a tool that helps people build wealth and build success and start businesses and grow their communities and all that. Um, it's a really good thing for everyone. And so I'm always supportive of, of, of tools to give people uh, the options for success and things like that. So oh, I don't know, I, that's kind of where we stand. We're kind of in a predicament with this economy and situation right now. It's kind of a big deal. I, I agree with that. I, I'm all for, for tools uh, that help, you know, economic growth, real economic growth, not just, just like wealth and crypto, because I think this is an illusion. This is a wealth transfer. You know, people that have gotten wealthy in crypto, this isn't capitalism, in my opinion. This is just a wealth transfer uh, to the extent that, that Bitcoin or any other crypto can, can act as a medium of exchange or help the productive economy, help lending, help get the capital to where it wants to go naturally. Uh, you know, be, you know, even in, um, like you said before, you know, the unbanked, I really don't like to describe it like that. I like to describe it as maybe a country that has capital controls or, you know, is limiting on, on where people can invest. You know, it, to the extent that crypto can help free up some capital, get where it needs to go, help people become more productive and help increase living standards, I'm all for it. I'm just very suspicious that that is what it's currently doing or what it can do in the future. So I just don't believe sort of this 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 idea this ideal of crypto that it can do that now i'm i'm waiting to see it happen i'm waiting for evidence that it can actually do that but i'm not currently seeing it um unfortunately i have to i have to close this conversation but i've appreciated you calling in and i encourage um you or anyone to to call in in the future and to continue this conversation yeah, you're welcome, Lindsay. And and yeah, you should have some guests on. You should get some players in the industry, maybe in finance, the economy, and guys in the crypto or gals in the crypto space and, and get them on and, and kind of expand the room and, and get some different ideas. I, I think it's awesome. And anybody that kind of is running shows and rooms and stuff, it's always a, a cool thing. So yeah, keep up the no, good I work. Like, and... I like the back and forth. I think it's more, I think it's more fun. I just yeah. I don't know anybody that, that would come on or so if you know anybody, 
I have to ask you, what's uh, you have a transmission distribution tower in your in your um, profile picture? Where, where, what's the reason for that? Oh, because I'm very interested in um, the Bitcoin like mining space because okay. they're, you know, they're currently um, uh, you know uh, trying to convince the ERCOT grid, which is the the Texas grid operator, the electricity grid operator. Uh, to partner with them to to participate in like a demand response program. Uh, so at the time I signed up, I think for Colin, I was very interested in that topic, and I just figured that I'd, I'd use that as my my profile picture. Oh, cool! <laughs> yeah, awesome. Well, you have a good day. Awesome. Like I said, keep up the good work, and I'll tune in on your next one. Thanks again. Yeah, feel free to call in. Okay, thanks. Bye.